Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Beth's Bookshelf, the podcast of conversations with creative writers. Here we discuss creative routines, book recommendations, writing processes and some other social topics like feminism. Today's episode is a really exciting one because I have Michael Grant with me to talk about his own process with novel writing and we'll be chatting about his newest trilogy, Frontlines. Michael is an American author of young adult fiction. He has written over 150 books, many of them co-written with his wife. He also wrote the very popular Gone series. His newest trilogy, Frontlines, reimagines World War II and places women beside men in the battle. The second instalment of the trilogy, Silver Stars, reunites GIs Rio, Frangie and Rainey and explores themes such as race and feminism. It's a really interesting read and I had a lot of fun talking to Michael. So without further ado, Michael and I are going to have a good chat about the trilogy right now. I hope you enjoy it. who are yet to read Frontlines, uh, could you provide an overview of the trilogy? Yeah, it's basically the American experience of World War II in the European theatre, which, as I'm sure you know, is rather shorter than the British experience of war, Um, and uh, we don't like to show up too early, Uh, came fashionably late to the party, but um, it follows her basically from... um, shortly after Pearl Harbor, a few months after Pearl Harbor to all the way through the end of the war. So book one runs from um, the girls learning their job, uh, you know, and from going from their homes, talking about their motivations, why they got got into, uh, why they volunteered um, through training and through um, Northern Africa, where we were uh, at the Battle of Kasserine Pass. And book two, we do Sicily and Italy. Book three is from D-Day through the liberation of the camps and a little bit of aftermath. And essentially, it's what I, what I was after was to get a new look at World War II. Everybody's heard about it, everybody's read about it, everybody's seen movies about it, so I wanted to spin. I wanted basically to find a way into it that wouldn't feel sepia-toned and uh, like Grandpa's you know, old 
photographs and lectures as he was, you know, in the old folks' home or whatever. So I wanted to make it fresh. So um, basically I wrote, because I had that power, I wrote a Supreme Court decision in 1940 that opened the draft and all levels of military service to women at that time. And so with that essential change, I've made only two big changes. That's the big change. A slightly smaller change was that I've advanced the involvement of African-American combat troops earlier in the war because they were not allowed into combat um, because we had a segregated army. They weren't allowed into combat until later in the war, but I moved them a little bit earlier um, for story purposes. But aside from that, I've tried really hard to be as accurate as I could about every single detail. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It's quite a risky topic to manipulate. And um, it, is, it is young adult, the topic, isn't it? Um, what made you decide to do this through a narrative about war and specifically World War II and bring it was, new gender? Well, um, in the States, you know, our, our history only goes back about 250 years, so we don't have that much to play with. <laughs> Um, it was the earliest point at which I could have done that kind of a gender swap and had it be realistic, had it be believable. Uh, I think prior to that, I, I don't think it would have worked in uh, 1917, 1918. It's a little bit harder to see then. It was a little bit more plausible by 1942, 1943. Um, and because it's, it's familiar enough, because it's a, mostly because it's just such a great story. I mean, when you talk about World War II, it's like all the story in the world. I mean, it's just it's just shocking. I mean, people people think they know the narrative, but they know a super you know the a few superficial events. But buried within that are so many individual stories and so much just stuff, man. So much drama uh, that I I thought that would be just fun to do. I just felt like it was a big treasure trove of interesting story I could tell. Yeah, that's very true. It's a very different experience learning about things like war in school as to what you consume in art. I tend to find out more about individuals who were there and actually experiencing things through films and books than you do. Yeah, I was very in interested in... Um, I wanted very much to keep it on the level of the individual soldier. So there's very little overview. I'm not... We're not... There, I don't think there are any generals who speak a line in this at any point. Um, it's almost all down at the level of individual private soldiers, corporals, and sergeants. By the end of it, <coughs> some of the girls are, have been promoted to sergeant, but that's it. So my main characters. So it's, it's very much an enlisted man, working class kind of approach to the whole war. We're not really interested in what Monty did or what Patton did or Eisenhower or FDR. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's about the experience of, um, as a matter of fact, I, I was very, I said from the start when I was first talking to my editors, I want a fair amount of this to be uh, soldiers digging holes, because that's what you do. You dig holes, you march, you know, you get cold, you complain, and then suddenly somebody's shooting at you, and then you're digging a new hole, you know, so I, I kind of wanted to keep it very real. Yeah, that's pretty much how people in my family have described it, like digging a hole, digging another yeah. hole. <laughs> Lots of holes. That title's taken, unfortunately. Was writing about gender reversal in your narrative a way to sort of prompt your audience to think about their own narratives and as we were just saying, like what they've learned in history and stuff, thinking about what could have been? Yeah, precisely. It was it's a way to put a new spin on it, to make it not seem quite as uh, quite as old and quite as in the past. Um, and make people look at it from a different point of view. And it's interesting, I've got uh, male readers who are saying 
that they had the same experience that by seeing it through the eyes of women characters that they had a different uh, view of it and understood it differently than they than they had in the past. Um, I don't think it would have uh, didn't change the outcome. Obviously, we're you know spoiler alert we're still going to win um, <laughs> by the end of the book. But um, I think by putting it into unexpected characters, you put a different view on, different spin on it. People have an opportunity to kind of step outside their expectations and see something that they think is familiar um, become less familiar and therefore more interesting, I think. I hope. Yeah. It's strange because there are um, texts, not previous texts, that have experimented with like different aspects of war and stuff, but they're more in your face, like that... Um, Amazon show, is it called Man um, in the High yeah, Castle or something? Yeah. That's changing something very, very <clears throat> dramatic right. about it, whereas you're changing something seemingly simple like gender inclusive and it, it, can, it would possibly completely... And it gave me a chance to talk about uh, race in a different way also. <clears throat> uh, particularly race in the United States in those days because it was, we, we had the odd and inexcusable situation of going to war against a white supremacist uh, Nazi power with a segregated army from a white supremacist country at that point. So we were, uh, to call it hypocrisy, as it doesn't begin to touch it. Um, of course, other countries are doing the same. You know, you'll notice that an awful lot of uh, the fighting done by free French troops were actually were North African troops, were Berbers and uh, Arabs. A lot of uh, fighting done by the Brits, by your people, were Indians and uh, people from the colonies. So it wasn't always, you know, we had this image in our head of, you know, of uh, white Tommies and uh, brave white uh, free French and uh, brave white Americans. <laughs> a hell of a lot of people of color were in that war, yeah. doing a lot of dying for a lot of white empires. So Yeah, I recently found out quite recently <clears throat> that um, and we have an awful lot of Fijians in our <clears throat> army as well, which I didn't know because... They're underrepresented in text normally. They tend when they would hold parades to pull those units out. Yeah. So do you think, personally, if your text had to have been true, that things would be a lot significantly a lot different now had women be allowed to fight and come back? Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> if you can use the analogy of, of race, for example, after the war, there had been, uh, despite efforts to keep uh, black troops out of combat, you have a fair number of uh, black troops who've been in combat, and it's a whole a hell of a lot harder to intimidate somebody who just came back from a war. And I think that uh, the cause of feminism would have been advanced significantly after the war. Uh, we, at least in the states, uh, tried to push women back in a box. Basically, they've been working in factories, they've been, you know, taking care of families on their own, they've been dealing with three years of war and absent males. And after the war, we immediately said, well, put on a dress and, you know, get back to it, get back to cooking. And I think that would have been a heck of a lot harder if you had a whole bunch of female combat vets. Yeah, that would have been That's an interesting point, actually. Um, regarding your characters, you have Rio, Fran- was it Frangie, Frangie yeah. and Rainy. Mm-hmm. How, how did these characters come to be, uh, like who they are and the roles they play? Well, I knew that um, <clears throat> they start off in my head kind of as what, as what do I need, right? So I knew that I needed, wanted uh, a central character who was a combat soldier, you know, a hardcore combat soldier. I also wanted to see, the, uh, see it from the medic's point of view, and I wanted, to, and I wanted somebody in, um, 
and intelligence because that gave me a bit more uh, pullback distance. So the people, you know, in the thick of it, the combat soldier, Rio, and the medic, Frangie, are not people I can use as characters to kind of take a step back and get a broader perspective on stuff, whereas somebody in intelligence is. So I knew that, and I knew also that I wanted uh, a black character, um, and I was like, can she be the spy? No, because uh, that would have been somewhat conspicuous, <laughs> I think, in uh, walking around in Nazi-occupied Germany, uh, Nazi-occupied Italy or uh, France. Um, so I kind of played around with the different possibilities, and I realized also that uh, the advantage of using a Jewish character like Rainey uh, was that at that point, the Americans at least, the American people had virtually no understanding of what was going on in Nazi Germany, of, of anti-Semitism and of uh, racial oppression there. But American Jews were starting to become hip to it. You know, they were starting to not get letters from relatives that they used to hear from in Poland and Russia. And so the American Jews were kind of more aware of, of what was going on. So by using a Jewish character, it gave me um, a heightened awareness of, of the context. So that was, that was also useful. Um, if your books were to be adapted into films, who would you like to see casted as Rio, Prandi, and Rainey? <laughs> I haven't got a clue. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I don't know. Every time somebody asks me this, I go, I don't really know any actors. It's like, I don't know, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, sure. That's, that's, <laughs> that's an actress. That's literally, that's, that's pretty much where I am with actors and actresses. I know a name. Emma Stone, sure. <laughs> what is she, 30? But okay, fine. That would be such a strange like, war film. With those two yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. I want Viola Davis, I want Emma Stone, and I want uh, Jennifer Lawrence. We're good. You know, we're done. <laughs> I love Viola Davis. I'm so happy she has an Oscar. Not that I actually watches. But. So I've always kind of had this idea that writing the series is, is particularly more difficult process-wise than writing a standalone novel and wanted your sort of stance on it. Um, because you have to make the books sort of roll off one another, but 
they have to be complete on their own. Like you can leave cliffhangers and stuff, yeah. but they still need to feel like a complete book. But you've had very successful series. I, I kind of don't know how to write any other way. I'm really bad. Really? I, I don't know if I could write. I mean, I have written single titles. I wrote one uh, with my wife called Even Adam. Adam, yeah, Even Adam, um, and uh, and that was fine. And we, and I've done earlier stuff way back in the day. But I tend not to think that way. I tend to think in terms of series and in terms of that being easier. Um, I write big. And it's, I guess it's, you know, like some artists uh, do beautiful miniatures. <clears throat> some do a portrait. And some people do murals. I do murals. I write big, long stories involving lots of stuff. I have big casts. It all is kind of at this big level at multiple points of view. That's just the way I like to write, typically. So I'm not... Um, I'm not what you call a literary writer. I, I don't really want to spend 300 pages just examining one character in their life. I'm usually interested in, in story and in plot. And, um, and a lot of times it just takes up a fair amount of time. So the Gone series is six books and Frontlines is three. It was a struggle getting Frontlines into three. I probably could have used a fourth, but it, it basically worked. <laughs> well, it's, I, think it, I think it worked. I was concerned, though. <laughs> Is there anything that you ended up, like, um, so you have a plot line for the first book mm. when it was coming towards the end of it, was there anything particularly dramatic you had to change because you were like, oh, but then I can't move into the second book? No, the only thing that was a, a little bit of a pain in the butt is I was trying to hit as many high points as I could, um, and the Battle of Anzio is, uh, in Italy is a, a real, is a classic disaster of... of uh, bad leadership and bad generalship, but it conflicted time-wise with basically with D-Day. I couldn't have, not that they hand, happened at the same time, but that the, realistically, the amount of time it would take me to get my characters from Anzio into the UK, trained, stick them on boats and head them toward Normandy, it just didn't work out time-wise. <laughs> so that was the only thing I felt like, oh, I've got to skip that. And I played, at other times, slightly with timelines, not much. Um, sometimes... I was a, it was to avoid looking as though I was poaching on somebody, some particular individual's story. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to. I don't want to steal somebody else's life. I wanted to make new lives for each of my new people. But honestly, so far I've been caught on two points of history. Uh, one being that I made a reference at one point to boot camp, and a reviewer pointed out to me. And it was just a single reference, I think. And the reviewer pointed out that's the Marine Corps, not the <laughs> Army. The Army's basic training. I went, oh damn. So then, um, the other day was <clears throat> I had a it's a totally a throwaway scene where a character is sitting in a restaurant in New York and John Wayne the actor from the 40s, 50s, 60s the Duke came by and his tagline was calling people Pilgrim and he calls her Pilgrim and then somebody goes not till 1962 dude and I'm like damn too. but on everything else I'm trying really I, I researched to the point where I went down to Las Vegas and fi- went to a firing range and fired the weapons so that I would know how they felt, the trigger pull, the muzzle oh, flash, you know, and, and everything else. I'm, I've tried really hard to get everything right. I'm sure I've screwed up more things, <laughs> but I've tried really hard to get it right, as, as much as I can as not, not a historian. Um, this is the first war based series that I'm going to read, so I might not notice. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps not. <laughs> So, um, what message do you hope for your readers of, of Frontlines to take? Um, 
I don't know. I don't. I tend not to think much in terms of lessons because lessons assumes that I know what I'm talking about and I'm delivering the truth to you. I would rather lay it out like a buffet and go, "Here's what I know." <laughs> Pick your. You figure it out. I don't. I don't hand down. You know, I'm not the voice of God. I'm just some guy making up a story, and whatever you come away with, you know, so much. You know, that's up to you as a reader what you come away with. So when you write, do you focus on what's going to be a good story and how you want to represent? And do you, do you think more about how you want the plot and how the characters to be rather than what the reader will want? Yeah, well, you can't think too much about the reader because you don't know what they want. Um, yeah, because you can't please everyone. No, there are two it, people it, it's in the like room and one hate your books and one loves them. Nine times out of ten, when you're trying to do that, you're it's like driving but uh, looking only in your rear view mirror and never out the front. Well, you, you can't just look at what came before. So if you're trying to analyze markets, you go, well, what sold three years ago was such and such. Well, yeah, well, it's going to sell two years from now. What are people going to want to read you know, down in the future? So in part, I mean, there's always a one-year gap between when you finish a manuscript and when the book comes out. Yeah. And a year earlier than that is typically when I might start thinking seriously about writing the book. So I'm sitting here two years out from the future trying to guess not what somebody's going to enjoy in 2017, but what they're going to enjoy in 2019. So that's just a, that's just a gut call at that point, you, and you do your best to do that, you know. But really, in this case, Frontlines was very much just me thinking, I feel like writing this, and I'm usually more... Uh, uh, more calculated than that. I usually think in terms of markets and all that kind of stuff, but this time it was just, no, I'm, I really feel like writing this. This is what I want to do. So I did it and figured if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a good way to go about it, I think. Sort of leaping into... Well, I think it's like anything else. I mean, you know, if you're in fashion, for example, you you know, you might look at the past in order to gain some inspiration, but you're trying to guess, you know, what somebody wants two, three years from now, and and not even what they want, but what you want to offer them, what what you got, what you can bring to it. You know, you're, if you're an artist at all, you're trying to create something that's original and different. That's cool. So the Frontlines trilogy is described as yourself playing with the what-ifs of history. What other what-ifs would you like to maybe manipulate and write about in the future? Oh, I don't know. Um, I would love to. I, I, I enjoy history, and I, I loved writing about it. Um, I, a long time ago, I had this idea that I wanted to do a uh, story of uh, uh, set in the American Civil War, which wouldn't have much... Yeah, much interest over here probably but I wanted to do characters crossing the United States during the war um, because you had all this fantastic stuff, you had the war in the east you had the war in the west which is a totally different thing going on, you had uh, all the fights over slavery, you had basically cowboys and Indians you, know, you had the gold up in California it was just nuts, it was a whole bunch of, like I said, just a bunch of story and um, so I might do that someday down the road I'm not sure um, and I would like to flip it and do the Pacific Theater too because I had fun doing the European Theater and, but the Pacific Theater wouldn't, wouldn't be as long a book because it's too many redundant scenes which sounds crazy but hmm. most of what we did we did the Americans did in that war was jump from island to island to island well you can only write that scene so many times you can only <laughs> land on a beach so many times and pretty soon we're all tired of it so I'd have to structure it differently but I'm, I've thought about it yeah <laughs> That's really cool. I'd, I'd like to read that. So, um, Silver Stars just came out 
last month, didn't it? Mm. Right. So what aspects of this book are you most excited for your audience to read? Um, I, I think this is going to be really obscure. So <laughs> everybody kind of knows about the war, but one of the things I was interested in putting into this was um, what had happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. So I worked that in through Frangie, who's one of the characters. And what did happen in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 was that uh, an area called the Greenwood District, which was called Black Wall Street, uh, you know, a big collection of black lawyers, doctors, whatever other professional people are, our bankers and all that kind of stuff, was um, burned to the ground by the white population with the help of the police, um, in many cases flying airplanes, uh, biplanes over uh, black neighborhoods, dropping dynamite, dropping uh, flaming pitch on the houses. 300 people killed, 6,000 people, if I remember correctly, arrested at one point. Um, and then the remaining black population was pretty much encouraged to get the hell out of town. Um, and it's this gigantic atrocity in, in American history. We have a few, um, but this is, this is one of the more interesting ones. And the timing worked out that... Um, that there's a connection with Frangie. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to bring into it. And I wanted to talk a lot about, um, about uh, American racism um, and use that character to do it and use that setting to make the point, I guess. So that's, again, that comes in more in, in book two. We, we find out some interesting things. Oh, that no sounds really interesting. I yeah. wouldn't have known anything about that when I was well, today. Everybody's done their best to ignore it and cover it up, but there was a lot of, you know, even during the war, during World War II, there were, uh, the best records are that there were 12 lynchings in the South, and on a couple of occasions, American factory workers walked off the job. Uh, American factory workers making munitions, making weapons for the war, walked off the job uh, rather than work alongside black workers. So that's another aspect of, of history not very well known in the States. Um, and I kind of wanted to write about that as well. Sounds good. We look forward to That's all for today's episode of Beth's Bookshelf. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about Frontlines with Michael Grant. It was great chatting to him. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and check the description for links to Michael's social channels as well as my own. I've also linked to my Goodreads profile so you can track what I'm reading in real time and have a look at my thoughts on certain reads. See you next Sunday for the next episode. Bye! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 